Joel, you make me feel old. <laughs> I look at, I stand next to him and, and um, I think he was born the year that I went into the ministry. That really makes me old. Wow, 44 years ago, 43 maybe. Well, we're um, gonna greet all of you this evening in the precious name of the Lord. We're on week 14 and going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And uh, we have the privilege of uh, reading a, a couple chapters there and we decided that we're gonna land on, on a, a verse there in, in the 19th chapter of Luke, the verse 48. But before we read that, I want to mention a couple things. Number one, when I was driving here this evening, I had to think what a privilege it is to be able to speak the word of God to a free people in a free nation with open Bibles. Think about that. We are a free people in a free nation with open Bibles, and I hope it remains that way, but the way society is going, it seems like it's starting to crowd and trying to muzzle out the Word of God. I want to look at the setting here before we read the passage, but Jesus Christ is ending up his three-and-a-half-year ministry. He's riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, and the Bible says that he began to cry, weep. As he looks over the city, he's crying and he's weeping. And yet everybody's trying to set him up as king. Hell, king of the Jews, Hosanna. And Christ is weeping. And one of the reasons he's weeping is, is he knows that one week from that moment, they're going to be saying, crucify him. One week. And not only that, he knows in 37 years from the time he rode in on that donkey, 37 years from that date, 1.1 million of the Jews will be slaughtered at AD 70. 1.1 million, Josephus writes. A six to eight month scourge and just wiped out a population of a lot of God's people. 95,000 were taken to other countries as slaves. And some of those were the lineage even of the family of Jesus. But then he goes into the city and it says he cleanses out the temple and, and now let's walk into the text and see what it says. And we can be getting reading at verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all people were hanging on his words. I love that phrase. For all people were hanging on his words. You see, Christ taught the word of God about nearly every Sabbath that he had the opportunity. And when he did that, people were hanging on his words, not only in the temple and places in the synagogue, but the Bible says in Matthew 7 and 28, the people were astonished when they heard him speak. 
Mark says that the common people, they heard his words and they were glad when he spoke. Luke says they marveled at the gracious words that he said. John 7 and 46, no one has ever spoke like this man. And Jesus spoke with authority and clarity and he practiced and he lived exactly what he spoke. The man matched the message and they hung on every word. And we are living in a society today that is trying to do everything they can to curb and shove the word of God away from people. We're seeing it everywhere, taken out of our schools, taken out of business places. The word of God is being muzzled. So it comes back to you and I, and especially as believers, how much are we hanging on his word? You know, there's a lot of people down through the ages that have spoke, great orators and people hung on their words like Plato and Socrates. In the New Testament, it would have been Apollos. The man spoke with words and people hung on those words. In our day, to me, it'd be like Zig Ziglar and people like that. I love David Jeremiah. There's a lot of great preachers, but you hang on their words. My brother and I in 1982 went to a, a cattleman's convention in San Antonio, Texas, 5,500 men in this big arena. And I remember when they announced that Mr. Brooks billed as the world's best public speaker, we're gonna speak to all the cattlemen and the dairymen. And I'll never forget when this old man, walked, about my age, walked out on the stage, big black glasses, thick Coke bottle lens, and I thought, good grief. What is this guy gonna say? And for the next 20 to 25 minutes, every person in that place hung on every word Mr. Brooks said. He had us laughing, he had us crying, he quoted from scripture, he quoted poems, he'd make us laugh again, we would cry again. These were 5,000 men. But he had the ability to say things that you just hang on every word. And that's my question for us tonight. Are we hanging on the words of Jesus today? Don't think about somebody next to you or part of your family. Look at yourself. I'm holding the mirror up. Are we hanging on the words of Jesus? And my prayer tonight as I look at this Bible and you look at your Bible, our prayer for us tonight would be that his word, the Bible, would captivate us, strengthen us, and renew us. And we begin by number one, by using the word in conversation. Are we using the word in your conversation? Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we open our Bibles, whether you do it in the morning, the evening, whatever you do, you should be uh, opening your Bibles every day. It should be a time of conversation and intimacy with our Savior. 
It's not dry. When we open our Bibles, it's an opportunity to converse with him. When I'm, when I'm out of town, and there's been times I've been out of town for maybe a week or so at a time, when I call my wife on the phone, I do not say this. Hello, this is Gordon. I'm your husband. And I'm going to chat for a couple minutes, but when I'm done chatting, I'm going to just hang up. Bye. No, no, no. That's, that is not what I do. When I, hang, when I call her, honey, how you doing? How's the children? What'd you do today? And we talk and we talk and we talk because I love her and she loves me. And it's dialogue, it's back and forth, it's back, it's ebb and flow and it's ebb and flow. I didn't know my wife was coming here to church tonight. I knew she was out in Oakdale doing something with some people and I thought, well, I'll see her tonight later and then tomorrow morning she'll probably be here at church. But I walked in tonight and there's my wife and like, I ran over there and hugged her. I mean, that's my wife. And I think they were already doing something up here, but I was talking to her because I care for her. I love her. And it should be the same thing with the Word of God. Sometimes we have a tendency, we take the Bible, well, I'll read for 10 minutes, and okay, now I'm done there, so I'm gonna pray for a couple minutes. Now I had my little nod to God, and I'm on my way. No. No. I would suggest that you talk to him as you read the word of God. And I know some of you do that. I talked to a lady this afternoon that was doing that and, and she says, you know, there's something about it when I'm reading the word of God and if there's something that convicts me, then I stop. That's good. If you're reading along and there's something that comforts you, you stop and you thank him. If you're reading along there's something that's brand new and you've never seen it before, you stop and you allow the Holy Spirit and you pray and you stop and he speaks to you and you pray and the Holy Spirit's very good at what he does. Why? Because he's God. But he knows when you and I are ready for something else. No one here knows the word of God. We don't know it by heart. And it, we just scratch the surface. But the Holy Spirit knows when we're ready for another lesson. We have training wheels on. But if all you ever do is read once a week and you just come to church and that's all you ever read, you're never gonna go anywhere. You're never gonna learn any more in the depths of God's word. The Holy Spirit knows. And it's in direct proportion of how much you are in the word, learning the word, conversing and praying with him. Then he says, you're ready to take the training wheels off. A brand new believer is never going to understand the Toledoth redaction theory of Genesis 10. Be clueless. No, a new believer begins to take the word and the Holy Spirit comforts him and takes him to other areas and he learns and he grows and he's feeding the inner man. That's what he wants us to do. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 7, Lo, I come to you in what? I come to you in the volume of this book. So when I open the Bible, he's coming to me and I'm going to him. And there's ebb and flow as we read and as we pray and we converse and there's a special intimacy. He wants us to come. 
Now, my friend, it is the same way congregationally. Same way. If there's something that challenges you in a message, then you write it down. If there's something that convicts you, then if it's, you change, you pray, you change. If there's something that puzzles you and you don't understand it, then maybe you go to the pastor, the preacher, and you ask him about it. But it's ebb and flow. It's dialogue. And I think I have found one of the best ways to use the word conversationally is not to, just to go to church, but I have found over the years in a home group, it is incredible. Or in Bible studies with men or women. When I am in a Bible study, there's dialogue. There's iron sharpening iron. You're learning together. Then you can ask a question. I have learned more things in our home group than I have many times in other areas. But it's the reading of God's word. It's conversationally taking this word of God and reading the God's word. It builds the car. Prayer turns the key. Obedience to what you read moves you down the highway. And that is why we have sparkling, shiny cars in the parking lot that never go anywhere. Because people do not obey or pray about what they just read. Let's go to number two. Also, we can be strengthened by studying the word of God with expectations. Habakkuk chapter two, verse one, it says that I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself in the tower and look to see what he will say to me. And I will answer concerning my complaint and the Lord answer me, write the vision and make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it. I love that scripture. Habakkuk read, said, talked to the Lord with expectations. I love it. And when you go to the, the Word of God with expectations, that means you have an appetite for the Bible. And Habakkuk had it. He says, he says right there, he's expected, I will see what the Lord will say to me. He had a response, and God responded to him. Okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a vision. and You just go ahead and write it down. But sometimes if we go to the Word of God and we're not expecting anything, you're not going to receive anything. The Bible's very clear about that in chapter, James is what, chapter 4? You don't have anything because you never even asked for it. And it's more than just expecting objects or things, but expecting growth, spiritual understanding, and all of these kind of things. We need to go to the Word of God expectantly. Look at Isaiah. I wrote this one down in my Bible. Isaiah 40, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is reading and talking with expectation. Listen to David in Psalm 62. My soul waits only on God for my expectation is from him. So what do you expect? When you read the Bible, I'm going to show you something. I know a lot of you already do this, 
I'm going to challenge a lot of you tonight when you think about expectations when you're reading the Word of God. If I would ask you, what is this? What would you say? It's a pen and it is paper. One of the greatest ways to read the Word of God with expectations is as you open your Bible, you always have a pencil and a pen right next to you. And as you begin to read, all of a sudden you're writing things down. 40 minutes ago, I was out here in the hallway. I talked to a young lady, and she says one of the great ways she likes to learn is she journals the Word. That is exactly what we're talking about. You want to grow more in your faith and everything, you get a pencil and paper out and you start writing down the Word of God as you read it. And you will become a wiser and richer in the faith as a man and a woman of God. Write it down. Did you know that all the Old Testament kings, it says this in Deuteronomy 17, all the Old Testament kings, when they ascended to the throne, they had to write the whole law. Think about it. If you're going to be a king, some of them were good, some, many of them were wicked, but if you're ascended to the throne, the first thing you had to do as a king, you had to write the book. It says in Deuteronomy 17, 18, and he, the king, shall write it himself in a book and copy the word of God. One of the most thrilling things that my wife and I have done started three years ago. We got it as a gift from one of our daughters. She, one Christmas, gave us each our own tablet. And for the last three years, we are writing the whole Bible. We're a little over halfway done, I think, now. We've got about three years to go, and we will have the whole Bible. Where I wrote today is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We write about six, eight, ten verses every day. It is so, if I use the word fun, it is so enjoyable because for the first time, and I've read this Bible and I've studied this Bible, but I have to slow down and I write every single word and I'm just stunned of the things that I've never seen. It's amazing. And I'm gonna give you a homework, some of you younger people. This week, I challenge you to write the book of Philippians. Oh, man, it's four chapters. That's right, it's four chapters. I'll even give you, it's 103 verses, I think. But if you just write those 103 or 105 verses in seven days, that's only 15 verses a day, and you have the whole book of Philippians written. And you will be blessed by it. You'll really be blessed by it. Wow. I am theologically convinced as a pastor that every word in this Bible, every word, all the begats, all the ones in numbers, all the begats and the genealogies and the table of nations, all of those are inspired. They're in the Bible, folks, every word. It is perfect in its unity. It is perfect in its validity, everything in this book. And when you're writing, and when we were writing in Genesis, 
a year or so ago, and you come along Huzz and Buzz and Pua and Og and all these weird names. But then it got enjoyable. And then we start quizzing our grandkids. You, you ever heard of um, Potribus? No, who's Potribus? Well, he's in the Bible. I wish I'd have looked at him before we had our children because we could have had Huzz and Buzz and Pua and Og. And... <laughs> no, not really. But, <clears throat> but think about it. If we don't take the Word of God, if we don't conversationally and expect things out of it, you know what the Word of God says about that? Listen to what he says in Luke 19 and 40. If my people or my disciples are quiet, okay, I'll let the stones cry out. And do we see that happening everywhere today? Absolutely. Every shovel, spade of dirt that is uncovered, the Bible just speaks louder and louder and louder. People used to make fun of the word of God and every time they uncover something in Israel and just wipes the smear off of people's faces. They found that place there in Nineveh where it said that all men left Ishtar in one day to worship one God, Jehovah. It's inscribed there, biggest revival ever. People used to laugh at that. Well, they found, found it. What about the Dead Sea Scrolls? What about... Uh, they have the house of ivory. All these things, when they're uncovered, the stones are still crying out. And one of my favorite things about the Word of God is the expectations of prophecy. Over 2,000 prophecies in the Word of God. Over 1,000 are already fulfilled. Is God doing what He said He's going to do? Absolutely. 100% he fulfills them. What about the messianic prophecies? The messianic prophecies are the prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. There's 323 messianic prophecies. For example, you've got Isaiah 7. It says the manner of his birth. Isaiah 9 says the time of his birth. Micah chapter 5 says where he's going to be born. Micah, I mean... Zechariah 11 said he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 24, 22 talks about the crucifixion. And you go on and on. But you can take just those six messianic prophecies out of the 323 and the probability of all those six coming to fruition is one in... 17th power. That's just six. And he has fulfilled more and more and more. You know the probability of that? That is like taking the state of California, it's a big state, taking almonds. I call them almonds. I was a farmer. You call them almonds, but they're almonds. And you can take almonds and you can cover the whole state of California four feet deep. Four feet. The whole state. You take one almond out of all those almonds and you put an X on it. You get in a Cessna 172, you fly at 3,000 feet, you take a hungry squirrel, you put him in a parachute, and you send him down to find the one X through the whole state of California in one chance. 
and the probability of him finding that one Ammon in four feet deep of Ammon's is only six of the prophecies being fulfilled about Jesus. And folks, there are thousands and thousands being fulfilled. This word of God is true and accurate. Brings us to number three. Read with a desire to obey. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. What does that mean? Well, obedience, to keep his commandments, if you hear the word of God, then you do the word of God. If you align your will with God's will and his word says, and you surrender to what he says, that's being obedient. That's what Jesus did. Bible said, I think in Psalms 1, Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. For he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. But it goes on, it says, when he's obedient, he shall prosper. That's obedience. Obedience brings blessing. Who do we like to live after and imitate? We want to be like Christ. Did Jesus go to church? Folks, it's one of his habits. Is that your habit? Is it your habit to go to church? The Bible is very clear in Luke. It says, as was his custom on the Sabbath, he attended church or synagogue. Do we go to church? Bible says to do that. Hebrews 10 and 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of custom of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need togetherness. We need community. We don't need isolation. That was a habit of Christ. He went to church. He had another habit. He memorized the word of God. The Bible says that he's a man that spoke with authority. They were astounded how he spoke. Well, if you're a rabbi, and he was a rabbi, you had to know the first five books by heart. But he was an authoritative rabbi. So he knew from Joshua to Malachi by heart. And as all God, but all man, he memorized the Bible. How much are we memorizing the Word of God? How much do we pray? That was a habit of Christ. The Bible's very clear. It said often he would go up to a high mountain to pray. He read the Word, he studied the Word. And it needs to be the same thing for us today. Some people say today, well, I'm not really hearing from the word and it's just getting so dry and boring. And uh, well, it could be that you're not obeying the word. We know we read and sometimes we come across something and, and uh, we run from it. Isaiah puts, I mean, I think Amos puts it like this. There is a famine in the land, not of food, but from the reading of the word. And I think there's a famine in the land in Christianity of America today. People are not reading their Bibles like they used to. Someday that may end, but so the more we have the word in us. Jesus says these words, the one who has shall be given more, but the one who does not have or the one not obeying 
will actually go backward in their understanding. You gotta be honest. I have to be honest. I have to come to a point, there's times I need to pray like this, Lord, I am not here to satisfy my curiosity this morning or stimulate my intellect or curiosity, but Father, I'm only here to do your will and Father, help me practically work out what you're trying to tell me from your word. Give me something today, Father, that I can obey from your word. And it won't take long before you find something in the word to obey. Let me give you a jump start. I'm going to give you 48. Romans chapter 12. Titus chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and 4. And Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to have at least 50 sermon there. And that will spend the rest of your life to do to obey. There's some of my favorite ones. Just Romans chapter 12 alone. And the result is, when you start to obey what you just read, you're going to see that God allows more meat in your life instead of just milk. Then it makes you all the more excited to keep going. So I'm going to ask a question, and this is a question for me too. Dads, mothers, grandpa, grandmas, do your children see you reading the Bible? Have they ever seen you read the Bible? Your children need to see you reading the Bible. There's something that does to a, just even when I see Heidi reading the Word of God, it just, there's something about that that's just um, very fulfilling. Read the Bible in front of your children, with your children, pray with them. I'd ask myself the question, would my son, if I hand it to him, would he take a Bible or a burrito? Would he take the Wi-Fi or the Word? Would he take a doctrine or a donut? And maybe it all back, comes back of how much he's seen the excitement at his dad. The Bible is very clear, happy, hungry. Happy is the man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. That brings us to number four. Read the word consistently. Colossians 3 and 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. I love that verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. To feed the inner man that it can be renewed day by day. We need the word of God to feed the inner man, the spiritual man, day by day. And focus on what you do understand. There's going to be a lot of things you don't understand. But in time, the Spirit is so good at allowing you to see more and more and more. If I quit because I don't understand something, I would have quit years ago. 
You know what I can't understand? <clears throat> I cannot understand how that chicken enchilada that I ate three nights ago nourished me. I have no clue. I don't know. The amino acids, went around, the proteins, the molecules, all that stuff, they just dug in there and I was satisfied and I smiled and I'm growing at a very rapid rate. <laughs> Your fault, Heidi, you're the cook. <clears throat> but it's the same way with the Word of God. There's things we don't understand, but we, we keep digging and we keep reading and as you read, the Word of God will begin to energize the spiritual man in your heart you begin to understand. The key is, Keep digging. Keep digging. Listen to 2 Kings chapter 3. There was great drought in the land, and Elisha was told, Elisha told King Jehoshaphat, dig ditches in the sand. Jehoshaphat said, but it is bone dry. Elisha responded, dig and do it anyway. And day after day they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and then one day they woke up and all the ditches were full of water. And sometimes it's the same way in our life. You just don't give up. It's the same thing as a prayer like Joel's talking. You keep praying, you keep praying, and you keep reading, you keep reading, and all of a sudden, wow, you're full, and the ditches are full of water. My friend tonight, Every single word in this Bible is pregnant with meaning. Every text in this Bible abounds with insight and understanding. Every verse in this Bible is full of life and it has healing. Every word of the Bible can bring a man to his knees and Make him stand to his feet and rejoice. Every Old Testament story is given as a New Testament principle full of practicality in life. And every word that you read, including the genealogies, the Bible says will not return void. It's the word of God. It's to you and me. And I think about the power of that. 66 books. 1,189 chapters. 31,102 verses for you and I. 783,450 words. And every one of them is perfect in its unity, its validity, spiritually everything about this Bible it's for you and me. It saves, it enriches, it equips, it endears. And I love the way the old preacher said one time, he took his Bible and he looked at his audience, and I know I've probably said this before, but the greatest story that has ever been told is right here. For God so loved the world. That's the greatest story ever. And in that story, the greatest sentence that have ever been written is for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
That brings us to the greatest question that's ever been asked. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ, asked by Pilate? Greatest decision that's ever been made was made by a boy in a pig pen. Down there in the pig pen in the mud, the blood, and the beer, he says, I will arise and go to daddy's house. Greatest decision ever made. Greatest promise that's ever been written. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Notice that. Come unto me. Those words mean everything or they mean nothing. It all depends who says it. Christ says, come unto me and I will give you rest. That is salvation. But then he goes on, then he talks about the word. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now it's not free and you will find rest for your souls. Salvation's free. But digging into the word of God and learning more of him, that's obedience. That is work. And it's one of the most enjoyable things you'll ever do is take this word of God, open it up, devour it, and let it be a part of your heart and your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the word of God. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for every single word of this Bible. Father, is anybody here tonight that, that wants to get out a pen and a paper and do Philippians? I'll give them, nudge them to do it and see the joy. If there's anybody here who wants to write the Bible, have them start today or tomorrow, whenever. Anybody here tonight that wants to renew with a greater purpose to read the Bible, read it with their children and their families, encourage them to do that, Father. Thank you, Father, for the power of the word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit as he keeps us going and encourages us with great guidance. And thank you again for this evening. In Christ's name we pray, amen.